You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. It's so good to see you today. Noel, that's a word that means to be born. Uh, And don't ever lose sight of the importance of the incarnation uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. God come in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. It's not an optional doctrine to us. Um, critically important uh, to us as Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, while you're turning to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, uh, where we are spending our time over this Advent season, I want to remind you that this is the season of giving and the season of prayer uh, for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's an offering that uh, some of you have participated in uh, and given uh, faithfully toward uh, for many years, and I would encourage you to continue that. I want to pause for a brief word of uh, not just pastoral encouragement, but pastoral admonition, uh, that this is a critically important offering to our missions partners around the world who thir- serve through the International Mission Board. And if you did not grab one of the prayer guides, um, uh, back it, the actual week of prayer was the 3rd through the 10th, uh, I'm told that you can pray anytime. It doesn't just have to be the 3rd through the 10th. So uh, it's actually not dated, the days, but it gives you some great information about unreached people groups, of uh, which there are some 7,000 plus unreached people groups around the world, uh, and the areas and the regions in which our missions partners are working and serving. Uh, and any of those uh, IMB partners would tell you how important uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is to the continuing work of reaching the world with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you will do that. There are some offering envelopes that you can use as well, although you don't have to. Uh, Just make sure that you designate accordingly. Anything that you designate during this season to just missions will go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering unless you designate otherwise. And so uh, really important that we give. And also your year-end giving is critically important. Uh, And if it's important to you for that to be included on your 2023 giving report and all that stuff, uh, you need to make certain that... uh, That is done before the end of the calendar year. In fact, if you mail that in, it has to be postmarked uh, by uh, the end of December the 31st. And so uh, just keep that in mind as well. Uh, I'll also tell you just real quickly that it's become painfully obvious to me that God knows my sanctification needs a heavy dose of patience. Um, I'm about done with uh, waiting on this building to get completed. I'm just going to be a just painfully honest with you this morning. Uh, in fact, I drove over there this morning around 7 something. There's a crew working over there this morning, um, which I, I hate to think uh, that there are people working in there instead of uh, in a place of worship somewhere, but uh, that's just kind of where we are right now. Uh, so continue to pray for all that to get wrapped up. We're in that, that phase where it's just a lot of stuff uh, here at the end to get us across the finish line. And so uh, be in prayer for that, and uh, that we get a little break for the holidays, and then hit it again real, real hard uh, coming into the new year. So, a lot of exciting things ahead for us. Uh, and so, let's uh, turn our attention to Isaiah chapter nine this morning to that which is most important in this season. This is the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, this is a season of preparation. It's a season of anticipation. It's a season of waiting and. Last week we walked through um, mainly, mainly verses 3 through 5 here and saw that the coming of Jesus uh, as the, the dawning of light into the world's darkness brings joy and freedom and peace to God's people. And this joy uh, is compared to the joy of a great harvest. Uh, 
or the dividing of the spoils of war after a great victory. Uh, The freedom uh, compared to being set free from the oppressive yoke of a cruel oppressor and the peace uh, likened to the taking of all of the muddy and bloody garments of brutal warfare, uh, burning them in fire for they will never be needed again. Uh, And then verse 6 uh, which is the, the best known of, of the verses here in Isaiah chapter 9, I suppose, announces uh, more clearly the coming of the one whose arrival will bring this long-awaited joy uh, and freedom and peace to God's people. He is announced as a child to be born, which speaks of his, uh, his earthly parentage and ancestry. Uh, every faithful Jewish person would know that this child, the long-awaited Messiah, would have to be born to someone in the line of David. Uh, as a descendant of the man to whom God had made this wonderful covenant promise that one of his descendants uh, would sit on his throne forever. And yet this child who would be born would also be a son who would be given. Uh, And then the four throne names or titles that we're focusing on uh, in this Advent series uh, show us the divine nature of the promised one, the Son of God, given uh, by God for us. Now we're told that the government will be upon his shoulders. I want us to to backtrack to that for just a moment this morning. It's an interesting contrast to the freedom uh, that we we saw promised in verse number 4 last week. And so the burden and the staff, as it were, of the oppressor, which had rested on the shoulders of God's people, would be broken in a powerful, miraculous way. Uh, Isaiah says here, as in the day of Midian. Now what is that all about? Well, the day of Midian refers to the miraculous deliverance of God's people from the overwhelming Midianite forces. Uh, You might remember the account there, choosing to use Gideon and 300 men armed with, get this, clay pots and torches and trumpets. Isn't that what everybody takes into war? (laughs) And so these 300 miraculously routed an army of over 120,000 men through the power of God. This was the day of Midian, and the only thing more miraculous, more unexpected uh, than, than that is an itinerant rabbi son of a carpenter from Galilee defeating the whole host of hell, all the demonic forces oppressing and opposing God's people by triumphing over them through a bloody Roman cross. It's an amazing picture. But you might wonder, what, what happens to the burden once the oppressor's rod and staff are broken? Well, the promised one, the child born, the son given, we're told, takes the burden of government, of rule and authority on his shoulders. And what does he say to us now? He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is easy. Is light, And so he breaks the oppressor's rod and staff from off all of our shoulders, shoulders the responsibility of government himself, and then invites us to find rest for our souls by coming under his yoke, learning from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart. And then come these four throne names or titles uh, of, of Jesus. Uh, last week we looked at Wonderful Counselor, which emphasizes the supernatural wisdom 
uh, of the long-awaited Messiah, his wonder-working, powerful wisdom. He gives counsel for victory uh, with powerful supernatural wisdom. Today we'll focus on mighty God. It emphasizes his strength and his power for battle. He is mighty to save. Uh, Lord willing, next Sunday morning we'll look at Everlasting Father. With that, we'll uh, see the emphasis of his heart of commitment to protect and provide for his own people. Uh, And then next Sunday evening, uh, Christmas Eve candlelight, we'll focus there on the goal, the outcome of his reign as Prince of Peace. The the one who alone, uh, his rule brings true peace. Uh, I like the way one commentator put it. You can look at these four names or these four titles, and in them you can see something of the nature and the character of Christ himself. As wonderful counselor, you see the mind of Christ. As mighty God, you see the arm or the strength of Christ, the power of Christ. As everlasting father, you see the heart of Christ. And as prince of peace, you see the mission or the the goal, we might say, of Christ. And so with that, I want us to again look at the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9. I hope that, that you'll follow along there as I read once again this morning. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad they, when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The first thing that I want us to note this morning as we dive back into our text here is that we need mighty God. We need mighty God. Now, in Hebrew, this is El Gibo. El Gibo. El is the most common word used for God in the Old Testament. When you think of the names of God, maybe you think of El Shaddai, El Elyon, El Roy, El... Uh, you think of these names of God. Well, the adjective givo there means mighty. It means powerful. It means strong or valiant, champion or chief. And so uh, givo, or, or mighty as it's often translated in English, is most commonly used in the Old Testament of, uh, of men like Nimrod, for example, who was a mighty hunter in the face of the Lord, uh, to Goliath. Oddly enough, who was the Givo of the Philistines, the mighty uh, of the Philistines. And from Boaz, who married Ruth, who was said to be a mighty man, to King Saul, uh, to David's mighty men, and so forth. But God is El Givo. 
That's distinctly different. He is the highest and ultimate perfection of the might and the strength and the heroism reflected in any of these human uh, individuals that we see there in the Old Testament. And so for God's people living in Isaiah's day and awaiting the promised king of the line of David, they would certainly look back at Solomon as their best example of a wonderful counselor as king. The wisest man who ever lived, it was said, and of Solomon's father, King David, as the best example of Givo, of the mighty warrior king. Remember, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. He would be known as their warrior king. And so David was this this warrior king who was Israel's champion, defeating Goliath, bringing peace to Israel. Solomon, the wise ruler, building the temple and uh, the city of Jerusalem even, extending Israel's regional dominance, global influence, ruling with wisdom that was unmatched in human history. But Isaiah's prophecy here is that the coming king, the promised one, The child who would be born, the son who would be given, would far outshine the wisdom of Solomon uh, and the strength and warrior prowess of David. For he would not just be Givo, he would be El Givo. Not just mighty, but mighty God. And in the very next chapter of Isaiah here, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, we read, A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God, El Givo. Now, the first place uh, in Scripture where we see Givo used to describe God, we read of the mighty God in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17, where it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. And so before Tom Brady or Michael Jordan or any other individual that comes to mind who's labeled these days as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, was none other than the long-awaited king, truly the greatest of all time, El Gribo. And what we're seeing here is that every human ruler, every world leader, every military leader has weaknesses. And those weaknesses are shown in the fact that they give partial treatment to some. King David needed Joab's help and support, and he dared not oppose him, even though Joab did some very unrighteous things in David's service. Other mighty rulers show their weaknesses when they can be bribed, they can be bought, not unlike many of our modern-day politicians and world leaders. Samson was one of the mightiest warriors, but in weakness, he succumbed to the allurements of of a woman named Delilah. King Ahab was considered a mighty warrior king over Israel, and yet he was terrified of both Elijah and his own wicked wife, Jezebel. God alone is the great, the mighty, the awesome God, God of gods and Lord of lords, as it says there in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now, how practically do we see the might of this mighty God? We see he's creator. He's creator. He alone has the power to call forth the entire universe to create heavens and earth with the power of his word. He is creator, but he is also sustainer. God doesn't just create the universe, he also upholds it. He he has strength and power to sustain his creation. 
One of my favorite sections of scripture uh, is found in Job, oddly enough, Job chapter 38. If you're familiar with the text, you know that at the end of the book of Job, we read of God coming in the whirlwind to Job, and he challenges Job with his strength and might. And with a tinge of sarcasm, uh, particularly as as the, the one who created all things, sustains all things, he asks Job some questions. Listen to the text regarding the creation of the world. God asked Job this, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Oh, oh, you weren't there? You catch kind of the sarcasm there? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or who, 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 uh, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? But then, regarding his sustaining of the world that he created, God continues uh, to, to ask Job some probing questions in that 38th chapter. He says, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? It's like, you ever, you ever made the sun rise? <laughs> that, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, he goes on to say, and the wicked be shaken out of it? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the paths to its home? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? Or have you seen the storehouses of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Do you know where this space is? Or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Do you see what, what, what God is saying to Job there? So the mighty God can be seen in his works of creation and providence in the making of the world and his constant sustaining of it. Now, in the crazy world in which we live, there's times where you just think, man, has God, like, like is he off his game or something? <laughs> see, things seem to be so chaotic and out of control as if, Maybe God's, you know, got something else going on. That, that's never been the case. There's never been a time when God was not completely in control of his creation of the world in which he, that we, he created. So he's creator, he's sustainer, and then we see that he's defender. This is unusual language. God's might is seen for his people in being their defender. One of the most common images in the Psalms is that God is a fortress. He's a rock. He's a defender, a shield, a strong tower, a refuge for his people. In Psalm 18, for example, it says this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord, the psalmist says, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. He's the mighty one to defend us from the attacks of our enemies. And sometimes this image of the mighty God as the saving defense of his people is warm. And it's affectionate and loving power. As we see in Zephaniah chapter 3 where it says, The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. I love that image. He will exult over you with loud singing. So you see, he is El Gibo. He is mighty to save. And it is joyful and loving and rejoicing salvation. 
then he's also pictured here as warrior. God doesn't just defend his people from the attacks of their enemies. He also goes on the offensive and defeats the enemies of God. You think of the, uh, the parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of Pharaoh's army. God showed himself to be a strong warrior to rescue his people. And the song of Moses there uh, in Exodus chapter 15 celebrated this. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is his name. He is creator, sustainer. He defends us. He's a warrior. But here's the key. If we're talking about the long-awaited Messiah, understand this, number two this morning, Christ is mighty God. Christ is mighty God. We see Jesus as the mighty God in human flesh and that he is mighty in these same ways as creator and sustainer, as defender, redeemer, warrior, captain of our salvation. One great passage that shows so much of this, I love this text, is found in Colossians chapter 1. Listen to the words Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He says, he is the image of of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, not just prominent, preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see him as creator. By him, all things created, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, all things were created through him and for him. He is the word of God by which the worlds were brought into being. We saw that in the the very first part of our our John series, right? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's creator. He's sustainer. He says there, and in him, uh, all things hold together. Jesus is the glue that holds the universe together. He's holding you and me together right now. And if he stopped holding us together, we would come unraveled in an instant, would no longer exist. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And I love this. And the exact imprint of his nature. In the Greek language, that is the word icon. We think of an icon as as something that you associate in in today's marketing world with with a product or with a company. You see the Nike swoosh, you know that that's Nike, right? You see the golden arches, what do you think? That's terrible food. That's what that, no, that's McDonald's, okay? And and, and kids know that. They know that image before they can even read, right? That's an icon. 
uh, our church. We have an icon. You see that image of the cross. That is considered the icon. Uh, and that, that's the, the same idea here as, as we look at Jesus as the very icon of God himself because he is God in the flesh. The exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then he's redeemer. We see Jesus as our defender and our redeemer. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the gospel. That is the gospel, that Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross, reconciled sinful human beings like you and me to a holy God. And that is the only way that we can be reconciled to a holy God, because he is our redeemer. Then he's the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our salvation. If you look ahead one chapter there in Colossians... We see the work of Jesus as the warrior, defeating our enemies, uh, not just protecting us from their vicious attacks. He says, you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. What? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And that's why we say it's through Christ that we have the victory. I always marvel why some Christians choose to walk through this life as defeated. No, we're walking in the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Scripture says we are more than overcomers through him who's given us the victory. So we walk in a place of victory. And again, it's, it's easy for us to lose sight of that in this world. Sometimes we can wake up and feel like we're on the losing team. I mean, you look at the world news and you're just like, it seems like this world is just going the opposite direction. But we, 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 we serve a victorious God. Our enemy, the devil, is a defeated foe. And we need to live in that victory. So these verses unpack in more detail what Jesus did for us and for our salvation on the cross. By canceling all wrongs against us, he disarmed our enemies. can't tell you how many times in a counseling session someone's told me that uh, essentially, man, the enemy is just like beating me up, it seems like. You ever feel like that? Like he just, it's one of the reasons that the enemy is referred to in scripture as the accuser of the brethren. I always say it like this. It's like he loves to just dredge up everything about you, all your failures, all your mistakes, all those things, and he's like just to throw them back in your face. You ever experienced that? It's like Satan just wants you to stay defeated. He wants to continue to remind you of those things. But what does Scripture tell us? <laughs> it's, it's through Christ that we have the victory. Uh, he has canceled all those things against us, and he has disarmed our enemies. So the question then is this, is Christ your wonderful counselor and mighty God? We can look together all day and see that he is the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. So Christ comes to us as the child who was born, as the son who was given with the wisdom of wonderful counselor, the strength and the, and the warrior's might of the mighty God. That's who he is. But what's most important today is, is he your wonderful counselor? And is he your mighty God? 
What does it take for Jesus to be your wonderful counselor and your mighty God? Not just the wonderful counselor and the mighty God. It requires faith. It requires a turning and a trusting in him and him alone as your Savior and Lord. So the first question is, do you trust him? And why would you not trust him? Think about this in light of Christmas. He was willing to stoop so low as to be incarnate in the womb of a young girl, born of her, wrapped literally in strips of cloth, laid in a manger, only to the worship of lowly outcast shepherds. Then lived a life of being misunderstood and abandoned and falsely accused, despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's what he did for us. Then the cross. Think of the agony of the cross. There is so much meaning in us saying he literally was born to die. He was born to die. The the, the triumph of the cross for our salvation, all for us, for our redemption. He bore the full weight of the wrath of God on his strong shoulders, and he overthrew the gates of death and hell, snatching the keys to both in his victory over them. He alone is truly mighty to save in every way. El Givo. So are you trusting him only? Are you trusting him truly? Are you here this morning and you're, if you're completely honest, you're living in fear? Do you trust him for your future? Do you trust him for your family? Do you trust him for your marriage? For your children? For your finances? Are you truly trusting him for your salvation? Trusting him alone and then do you trust only him? Or maybe you're here today and you would say, well, I'm kind of hedging my bets by having a backup plan or two. Like, I'm good with some Jesus, but i got to get this figured out, right? i got to have a plan. So you have one hand on Jesus and the other wildly grasping for anything that this world might offer you, whether it's financial security or political power or, or social prominence or family or friends or any number of things that in themselves are all gifts from God. But have we mistaken the gift for the giver? Are we trusting in Jesus alone? This is a call to graciously, lovingly, gratefully submit to his lordship of our lives in humble obedience and loving discipleship for all that he has done for us. Jesus is mighty God. He is good. He is wise. He is mighty God. We can trust him. We must trust him and him alone. And so with that, let's together bow our heads for just a moment. And today I want us to take a few moments to just reflect upon Christ here, who's pictured for us in such a clear way as wonderful counselor and mighty God. And I want you to truly wrestle with that question. Is he your wonderful counselor? Is he your Mighty God. If you're here today and you've never turned from your sin to faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to I want to invite you to take that step of faith. You might think, well, do I have to say some particular words? Do I have to put together a, a, a prayer that would somehow be accepted by God? It's a 
It's a simple step of faith whereby you acknowledge that you're a sinner who can't save yourself. And you need a Savior. And you recognize that Jesus Christ is the only one. The only one who could pay that debt that we owed. In himself, he absorbed the very wrath of God for us. So if you're here today and you're not sure of your relationship with God, the only way that you can be reconciled to holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Will you trust him today? And if your testimony is one of faith in Jesus, can you honestly say today that he has preeminence in your life? That you operate in the day-to-day with Jesus as your wonderful counselor, your mighty God? Are you submitting daily to his lordship? Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we can look at an ancient text, a prophecy of old, and see such an amazing, vivid picture of our Lord Jesus Christ and how his very nature and character applies to us. His finished work on the cross applies to us. It's my prayer that each one would leave here today not just knowing that Jesus is a mighty counselor and a wonderful counselor and a mighty God, but would know that he is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. Because we have a faith relationship with him. One made possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we thank you. We praise you in the powerful and precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.